welcome to a new episode of the Seafood News Podcast. I'm Seafood News staff writer Amanda Buckle. And I'm seafood market reporter Lauren Castiglione. This week's episode is brought to you by the Seafood Innovation Expo, taking place at the Mazatlan International Center in Mexico from September 6th to the 7th. Visit expoinnovacionayp.com or email expo at sbs-seafood.com for more information. This week we have another very special guest, Mary McQuarrie. Woo! <laughs> Mary is our Seafood News intern, and she joined us about a month ago and has just dived right into the seafood world. You see what I did there? <laughs> um, Mary, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I loved, I've watched a few times, so now I get to like speak and be heard. I like it. Well, this is not, not exactly true. Mary was on two episodes ago. She was, uh, we wanted to use like a little John, like the what? And um, Mary, since you know copyright infringement or whatever, so Mary <laughs> was up. our was our little John mm-hmm. for the day. So hats off to Mary; she's very talented. So um, of course we've got a great episode lined up as always. Um, and since I was away on the NFI Future Leaders trip, and Mary was running the show at Seafood News, I'm gonna let Mary tell us about the top stories that we'll be uh, breaking down. This week we'll be talking about the China tariffs. Of course, we can't miss that the snow crab market, Trump's efforts to consolidate food safety responsibility, and to lighten the mood a little bit, since those are all pretty rough, a giant sushi roll. Yum. Love it. But before we jump into that, Amanda, why don't you tell us about your future leaders trip? Wow, Mary, you're really taking charge of the first podcast. Uh, I'm the one that starts it off every week, but I guess if you're going to lead things... <laughs> just kidding. Um, so, yeah, Future Leaders. Um, yeah, it's part of the National Fisheries Institute. It's a program that brings about 40 people together from different companies um, in the seafood world, and I'm one of the, the lucky members involved uh, in the 2018 class. And um, this week we were in Houston. Um, our first trip was actually in D.C. Uh, back in May. So um, we were down in Houston this past week, and I mean, it was a fantastic trip. Uh, I've been telling everybody about the office about it all day. Um, we started off on Tuesday by visiting Preferred Freezer Services, uh, which, no, like, I don't know why I didn't put two and two together that we're going to a freezer. I wore shorts. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so it's, it's really, they have, like, a, an amazing facility, but uh, they took us into a, a freezer that was negative five Stop degrees. It. And, Ooh. like, I'm going to say this. My nostril hairs froze. <laughs> well, cold therapy is supposed to be amazing for you, so... You know, if I was hungover, that might have been, like, <laughs> yeah. the best part of my trip. But, uh, yeah, so negative, it was really, it was just a really cool, uh, you know, way to see the freezer. Um, and uh, it, it was just a, a very neat facility. But um, after that, like, the next day, we went to Extra Enterprises. Um, they're family-owned and operated, and they have a hybrid striped bass and farmed red drum. And we got to see their farms, and uh, we, the hybrid straight bass farm was amazing. Um, it, it just I've never seen like pond aquaculture before, and it's three miles long their farm, and it's just pond after pond, and it, it was it was just amazing to watch. Um, and I, what I thought was really cool is that they had a they had a bunch of their men in the water to to catch the fish mm-hmm. with this huge net, um, and they're all wearing hockey masks. <laughs> they like, get hit in the face from the fish. So besides the hybrid straight bass in the water, there's also Asian carp, and they're huge, oh and God. those things can get like feisty. So they've had experiences <laughs> where they've gotten like knocked around a bit. Wow. So, so besides the hockey mask, they also wear athletic cups. We oh, so wow. yes, things very important. Pretty, pretty nasty. <laughs> um, after that, we went to Prestige Oysters. Uh, they took us all out on a boat to see. 
um, how they harvest uh, the oysters, and it, they were the best oysters I've ever had in my entire life. And um, you weren't a big oyster eater before this trip, or were you? Yeah, no, I, so I guess I should put like an asterisk next to that. I've had one oyster before and I hated it. <laughs> but these, I like, now I'm like absolutely hooked on oysters. Yeah. They were so fantastic. Um, it was a, it was just a fantastic experience. And they turned you. Yeah, yeah, we saw the pictures of you. Slipping yes. it down while we were slaving away here. There, there's an unflattering picture of me on Facebook no slurping one. down. You always look beautiful. <laughs> Check out their Arnerberry Facebook for that photo. Um, and uh, yeah, we wrapped things up with Tarla Galveston Shrimp Company, which was amazing. Um, and then we also uh, went to Cisco, um, which was very neat. They have a, a really beautiful, um, you know, their corporate facility in Houston is just amazing. So that is my uh, Houston NFI trip. Very in cool. Less than how many minutes that was. So, yeah. but anyway, back to the news. Let's talk the China tariffs. Uh, that news story actually broke while we were recording our podcast last week with Bill Bradford of Samuels and Sons Seafood. Yes, that was a great episode, and it was a lot of fun to collaborate with a fellow industry peer. Um, so if you haven't te- checked it out, definitely give it a listen. But China wasted no time retaliating against President Trump's trade war, and the U.S. seafood industry has been hit really hard. China will impose 25% punitive tariffs on a range of U.S. seafood exports worth nearly $1 billion in 2017. The announcement was made by the Customs Tariff Commission of the State Council, and the tariffs will go into effect on July 6. They are calculated at 25% additional tax on the imported cost of the product, including any previous tariffs. So if a Dungeness crab was uh, taxed at 12%, the 25% will be on top of the total cost, so the import cost plus previous tariff. Uh, virtually no important U.S. seafood product was left off the list. The tariffs will hit pink salmon, chum salmon, sockeye salmon, frozen cod, frozen pollock, all flatfish, mackerel, herring, sablefish, and the list goes on. Now the big question here is what's next? Seafood news publisher John Sackton wrote an analysis last week that highlighted the immediate consequences. He heard of order cancellations from some sources already. For example, a squid supplier from California had his Chinese buyer cancel his order immediately. And John thinks we'll be seeing a lot more of that in the next couple of weeks. This has been the biggest thing in my career. Which is a month. (laughs) I love it, Mary. (laughs) Uh, We'll keep you updated as we learn more. Um, But moving along, uh, the snow crab market has adjusted to lower supplies. Mary, take it away. With the season almost over in Newfoundland and the Gulf, Erner Berry is reporting that the crab market is now flat, both for Canadian snow crab and Russian snow crab. It appears that the market has adjusted to higher prices, which are up 20% over the last year for Gulf crab, for example, and 56% higher for their, from their five-year average. Erner Barry is reporting that sales activity has slowed, and instead of buyers calling suppliers looking for crab, the shoe is now on the other foot, and sellers who are holding crab are now calling buyers, trying to, dump, dry, trying to drum up some sales. Usage is definitely down in traditional crab buffets, but the food service operations that depend on snow crab are still buying, although in smaller quantities. It is now likely that in Newfoundland and the Gulf, the full quota will not be caught. Thanks, Mary. On to another big story, Trump's efforts to consolidate food safety responsibilities. So food safety is divided between the FDA, USDA, and FSIS. 
Uh, but now the government sees it as inefficient and inconsistent in ensuring food safety. So what the administration is proposing is to consolidate core federal food safety responsibilities into a single agency under USDA. And this consolidation would give USDA the clear mandate, a dedicated budget, and full responsibility to, uh, for optimal oversight of the entire U.S. food supply. So the resources at the FDA would be just to you know, focus on core responsibilities of drugs, devices, um, tobacco. So, you know, basically seafood would be moved from FDA over to USDA. And I mean, and some of those markets have already. Yeah, catfish, mm-hmm. pegasi, that's already over there. You know, but like over 20 years ago, you know, the FDA created the Seafood Hazard Analysis and Critical Control Point, like uh, HACCP um, regulations. And, you know, they've been, it's been like a proactive and preventative system that was designed to keep seafood safe and it's, and it's been working. And so this could honestly be like a huge hit for the seafood industry. I mean, we're, not, we're talking about, you know, it's going to affect the entire value chain, you know, harvesters, processors, exporters, importers, you know, restaurants, retailers. I mean, it could affect everybody. So what would happen would be that like, you know, harvester, harvesting and processing seafood would, you know, have to be done while USDA representatives are in the room. And, you know, seafood is not exactly, you know, on the time schedule here, you're like, yeah. right. what are you going to do? You're going to send out a USDA rep on, a, on every a boat? boat? Yeah. And these guys aren't going out fishing from nine to five. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's not going to happen. So, so this is honestly pretty big. Mm-hmm. I think up there with China tariffs. Yeah. Yeah. Very concerning. <laughs> especially with what is going on with the Pangasius market right now. It's, it's, crashing, you know, because of some of these uh, new legislations and regulation changes. So um, to think that every seafood species could go under this you know, it's it's definitely concerning. Yeah, it's it's a big it's a big move. And if it, if it moved, I mean, it would affect American jobs. It would increase cost, um, and it, I mean, it would reduce the affordability of seafood. Right. I mean, seafood we talk about this every mm-hmm. week. Seafood is a vital part of your diet. <laughs> I mean, it decreases the risk of heart attack, stroke, obesity. I mean, it's important for you know ch- uh, children, infants to eat to you know gain the proper nutrients for like developing eyesight and brain and. It's it's a big deal, and, and yeah. hopefully hopefully that will not go through, but it's a, it's something that we're definitely going to be monitoring. Yes, uh, but that's a doozy. So to lighten up the mood, now on to our final story of the day, a rather fun one: the largest sushi roll at sea. <laughs> Ready for these stats? Cruise company Holland America Lines Culinary Council member Andy Matsuda created the classic Japanese dish using 150 sheets of nori seaweed, 70 pounds of rice, 3 pounds of tuna, 3 pounds of salmon, 3 pounds of shrimp, and 1 pound of flying fish roe. It just seems like too much. I'm going to say it. (laughs) I mean, who doesn't overeat when it comes to sushi? But that is way too much. It's 3.3 feet wide rolled and 49 feet long pre-rolled. I mean, I have lots of questions about it, and we're gonna post. We're gonna post the photos on Instagram. Check out the Seafood News inst- Instagram to see photos of this giant sushi roll, the largest sushi roll at sea. How'd you do it again? The largest sushi roll at yes. sea. Check out our Instagram <laughs> to see those photos. But I have lots of questions about it because it, it's huge. It's nothing that you can just shove in your mouth. Um, did they cut it like a cake? Did they even eat it at all? Did this all go to waste? Yeah, I'm surprised there's no pictures of them 
indulging in all of this uh, goodness, but I don't even know how you would break into it. Yeah, like do you unroll it and just like cut like cut little? Oh, I didn't even think about that. That probably makes the most sense. But then like all their rolled efforts go to waste. Yeah, that's a waste. But does it just like do you spray it with something so it's like preserved so that pe- way people can just admire it for? Weeks? Oh, I don't like think a like fish should be sprayed yeah. with anything and preserved. It's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I have lots of questions about this. I want to know if anyone ate it. I want to know if it just sat there. If we just right. did they throw it overboard at the end? <laughs> did it sink to the bottom of the sea? <laughs> I have so many questions. Um, but I mean, technically, I mean, so like it's technically the largest sushi roll at sea. But we actually looked up some other large sushi rolls because I was I'm like, okay, they had to have the at sea on the end of it. Um, in 2011, a restaurant in Japan claimed to have the largest sushi roll actually on a menu, and that bad boy was eight inches thick and weighed 13 pounds and cost the diner 196 dollars. Which I think my husband eats like $196 worth of, <laughs> of, of uh, sushi, but like it's not one giant roll. Well, that's good. You don't have to be as concerned. Um, if you turn to the Guinness Book of World Records, the largest sushi roll ever measures 9,332 feet, 8 inches. That's over a mile. It was created in Japan in 2016. That is... Who wakes up <laughs> and is like, you know what I, I do? <laughs> I've always dreamed of creating the largest sushi roll <laughs> in the world. Well, apparently 400 people were involved in making it. That is wild. Yeah, to coordinate that So like, 400 that people efforts, woke up that 400 morning. 400 people wow. shared yes. the same yeah. dream of, of creating the world's largest sushi roll. I want to be a part of this. I want to make a difference in the world. <laughs> Good for them. And, but also, I also want to know what happened to that sushi roll. Right. <laughs> Did they all eat it? Did all 400 people well, eat it? Well, the longest one, that's easier to eat. You just chop it up and everybody gets a little roll. But the, the one that we were just talking about, the largest sushi roll at sea, is like a huge cake. So I think, <laughs> I think they were smart to go with the longest. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. So many questions. So many questions. So little time. <laughs> and that wraps up our show for the week. Once again, this week's episode was brought to you by the Seafood Innovation Expo. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you back here next week. Bye-bye. Toodles. <laughs>